What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. When putting together your gear, wrap a piece of duct tape around your water bottle. It's barely noticeable, but if another piece of gear breaks or tears, pull off your tape to make a quick patch or repair. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down for me, Saito. Hi everyone, welcome back to Write That Down. I am one of your hosts, Justin Nipper. I work over at Fight Game Media and F4W Online and WrestlingObserver.com. And I'm back with Mr. Fumi Saito, Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, and broadcast journalist. All right, so today, we can show you part two. Uh, today, we went over Choshu's career from around 1984, uh, during the the jump period when he and his faction Ishingun jumped from New Japan to All Japan. And we talked about Japan Pro Wrestling. We also spoke about Choshu's match with Jumbo Suda, All Japan. 60-minute draw. Um, we talked about 1989 when Choshu moved into that booker-manager position behind the scenes. And we also talked about his creative genius behind the G1 round-robin tournament. That was his baby. That was his creation. Oh, also, we almost forgot, but we didn't. We talked about the Akira Maeda incident in 1987. Very important. All right, if you have not already done so, please uh, subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network on Spotify or Apple or wherever you are listening to your podcasts. All right, let's get into Ricky Choshu part two. Japan Pro Wrestling in September of 1984, you had people like Shinichi Nakano, the Eigen Haruka, the Masanobu Chris, the other veterans, you know, they were in the mid-card in New Japan. They joined, and all of a sudden you have 15 guys leaving New Japan. At the time, 1984, if you have, if you remember, that that was the year the original UWF started. Ah, that's right. That's yeah, great. and then Akira, uh, Akira Maeda, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Nobuhiko Takada, that uh, little bit uh, that, uh, initially, Russia Kimura, you know, the big hero, mm-hmm. right? That uh, before he ended up joining All Japan, a little bit, you know, Russia Kimura and Go Ryuma, uh, people like Grand Hamada, was part of original UWF too. Wow, how many people did they lose that year? Hmm. You know, that New Japan, they lost about 30, 30 wrestlers. That was also, and I'm talking about 1984, that was also the year that the later on Three Musketeer, Keiji Muto, 
Masachono and, and Shinya Hashimoto, they all came to New Japan Dojo. Very interesting year, huh? Mm, very, very. There, uh, at least in Japan. And Liga was first year rookie. Yeah. Uh, the Liga, as well as Keiichi Yamada, he was first year rookie, along with people like uh, Sano. Uh, Hata and uh, yeah, oh, the 15 year old Masakatsu Funaki was at the dojo too. Mm. And the uh, following year, uh, Asai, uh, uh, Yoshihiro Ultimate Asai, Dragon. Ultimate Dragon couldn't debut with New Japan because he they consider him too short, right? But uh, uh, 86, 85, 86, he was practicing at dojo and living in dojo, very interesting era. But uh, when I, I asked this, uh, uh, Keiji Muto into the question. It's like, like, were companies, you know, like a big earthquake hit, right? Like, you know, were they shaken up? Like, are you losing, you know, all the star wrestlers, like 20, 30 wrestlers all together? And uh, Keiji Muto's answer back 35 years ago was very interesting. I asked him personally that the, what were they thinking, right? It's like, he said, Muto said, you know, well, then we, we'll be on TV right away. Great. Mm. <laughs> That's how wrestlers think. You know, the company's going to last. Right? That's how, you know, like losing UWF 10 guys, right? Original UWF, they left. And Ricky Choshu and his group, 15 guys left. And you have Skelton, you know, back to Inoki, Sakaguchi, Fujinami, Kengo, Kimura, and George Takano Cobra came back from Calgary. Yeah, that, that's a little odd that uh, Junji Hirata came back from uh, Calgary and become super strong machine. And that's a good, uh, and then Hiro, Hiro Saito came back from Calgary too. And that, but that's still three or four new guys, right? Mm-hmm. But they made those guys heal to challenge company, the same Ishingun Rikichoshi method. But uh, interesting, the young lion Hashimoto Muto Chono all thought, oh, great, we'll be on TV right away. Mm. That's <laughs> interesting, interesting way yeah. to look at it, huh? Very. Um, yeah. Before Choshu moved back to New Japan in 87. New Japan, right. Yeah. What, before, yeah, before we move on from that, I, I know there were a couple, there are a handful of important matches that Choshu had, like really quite important single, matches. Single, one and only single single match against Jumbo Tsura, mm-hmm. 85 at the Osaka Joe Castle Hall, uh, Ricky Choshu, Jumbo Tsura. They only met once on in a single match occasion, just once, 60-minute Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was that viewed? Was that viewed as kind of like a dream match at the time? Oh, yeah, very much dream match, but uh, reading-oriented, meaning like a, the kind of wrestling fan that reads all the wrestling magazine every week back-to-back, mm-hmm. that they thought they predicted 60-minute draw. How, how else can you get out of this, right? Uh, double count-out? Or double count-out, such a letdown, right? right? Or double DQ? Very much let down. There were a lot of and, those uh, at around the time in all Japan. Still, too. yeah, because Giant Baba being very conser- conservative booker producer, right? Um, you don't want to harm your superstar. Or uh, you don't want to tell Jumbo to lose it. You don't, you can't, you don't want to tell Ricky Choshu to lose it. And actually, Ricky Choshu Tenru single match prog- you know, program clicked much better. Because they did it so many times and all the matches were good. And styles were similar, you know. Mm. And it looked like Jumbo could manhandle Ricky Choshu at the time. He was a lot bigger, taller, yeah. And heavier and great wrestler, you know. And then uh, Choshu later on admitted that uh, he had a complex. Because personally, he believed Jumbo was so much more talented than he himself, you know. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, because wrestlers sometimes arrogant, but sometimes very humble as an athlete. Because when you get in the ring or you watch what they do, you could tell, this, you know, this person's talented than, you know, more talented than I am, right? And, and they're uh, both Olympians, so they have high standards of, each, of themselves and of each other. Yeah, and then they respected each other. And, uh, but all things considered, they ended up having half-ass 60-minute Broadway. But if you watch this match, you know, 37 years later, it's a good match, you know? 
But at the time, people expected a little bit different. You know, like Ricky Choshu clothesline, you know, jumbo three or four times and jumbo's big body takes big bump or you know what i'm saying yeah it or, wasn't a, as dramatic or action-packed or as... spectacular or yeah because that was more jumbo the style match he was so used to doing 60 minute broadway match which he had done against dory funk mm. harley race Jack Briscoe, Billy Robinson. Oh, wow, he already done that 60-minute match many times. And I don't believe Ricky Choshu had 60-minute Broadway experience until up until that point, which he never did again, you know? Yeah, and Choshu I mean, he's was... not the kind of 60-minute wrestler. No, he's an explosive wrestler who uh, he has a couple big moments at that or, or a couple moments in a tag match. or uh, the but, but the matches themselves... The big ones, at least for him, I, I don't think the Tenru and uh, Choshu match at the Tokyo Dome was very long. It was like barely 10 minutes, uh, 92. Yeah, 93. but uh, you felt like you watched, you know, classic. Very, yeah, you know? because yeah. Every, so kind of everything he did, uh, not just had a meaning, but he went 110% behind. And, and, and high impact, too. Believable. Yeah, and whereas Jumbo 2 is more... You know, Dory Funk, Harley Race School of Wrestling. NWA very, very slowly, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then saved the big spot until the, in the last 10 minutes of the match or something. Very old fashioned. So they, it, it clicked in different way because it showed the difference. You know, if you have educated eye and go back and watch this, you know, match from 1985, I think we both enjoyed that match much better than we, we, we you know, we, I did then. Yeah. Because mm. I'm then also 37 years older now that I have different eyes for wrestling, you know. So that there's a videotape for, of it. So it's something that you can study. But uh, it, I'm not sure if they really enjoyed the moment, you know, that much. Something, well, it's wrestling, so none of these guys are losing, right? No way. And that was kind of, in, not a problem, but it was definitely a pattern in the mid-'80s in all Japan. Yeah, because Jumbo Suta wasn't about to lose, and Ricky Choshu, the big, huge superstar then, there was momentum. He wasn't going to lose. And, uh, yeah, that's probably why they only did it once. You know, mm. and tag team situations at the time, Jumbo and Tenru was still tag team. Tenru in babyface side, and just about every night of the, on the on the tour, Jumbo, uh, Tenru, and maybe third person six man tag team situation, and and Ricky Choshu and either either Yatsu or Kobayashi or Hamaguchi. somebody like Teranishi or Hamaguchi. Yeah, and then you, the, the Ricky Choshu's trio working against, you know, against, you know, All Japan trio, like pretty much every night. So the, actually Jumbo and Ricky Choshu were in, in the same ring just about every night, but they only had maybe two spots against each other each right. night. Right. Yeah, yeah. But all through the year. But it was an interesting test because some people were critical about 19, in the early 80 version of Ricky Choshu that he is not as versatile, meaning that uh, he can have great single match against people like Fujinami and Inoki and uh, very limited among Americans, right? But uh, when he worked against people like Dory Funk, Terry Funk, or Hardy Race, or of all people, like, can you imagine having a match against people like Dick Bakwenko? And, you know, well, it was tag team situations. But, uh, well, this Ric Flair against Ricky Choshu NWA World Title match happened. You know, they, they had the picture perfect Scorpion Deathlock that uh, Ricky Choshu putting on Ric Flair. Picture perfect, great. But uh, Ricky Choshu at the time didn't think it was a very good match, you know? Mm. And uh, hmm. because he ended up doing Ric Flair match. Right, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also he admitted that, that, that he started out with Aoyama, they say. Aoyama is, meant New Japan, uh, meaning that uh, when he was with New Japan, New Japan office were in Shibuya, Aoyama area. So Ricky Choshi used to call the office uh, Aoyama. You know, anyhow, that uh, so I grew up in Aoyama, so uh, I don't know how it's just 
like how big 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 of the NWA World Title match was, and I didn't know about it. Something like that. So uh, NWA is always the concept that the old Japan really polished and cherished. That it's the biggest you know biggest world title and the closest thing to. Undisputed, undisputed world heavyweight championship, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas all New Japan and Antonio Inoki created IWGP to conquer that, right? Mm-hmm. That the whole philosophy was there, and Ricky Choshu was in the middle of it. You know, he didn't. He had to say something like, "Yeah, I didn't know how great NWA World Title was," or something like that. But he was in, and you know, that the All Japan cluster for the next two years, and. Uh, you, you know, if when you're in in all Japan situation, yes, you'll have that. Uh, you you'll meet all the all Japan wrestlers. You know, not just Jumbo and Tenru, but uh, the Misawa Tiger Mask Misawa at the time. Well, all the you know like American you know stars that are actually taller and heavier than Ricky Joshi himself. You know what I'm saying? Did he ever have a singles match with Bruiser Brody? Around this time, uh, I, I was gonna get to it. Ah, okay. They own, yeah, not not a single match situation, but in it, actually the year Ricky Choshu and his guys came and started working full time with All Japan, eighty five. Okay, that was the year Bruiser Brody himself, all by himself, switched side to New Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and only once. In the grand opening of this Ryogoku Sumo Hall, that the main event was Road Warriors against uh, Jumbo and Tenru, international tag team title, the grand opening of Sumo Hall. And Bruiser Brody was openly vocal about not being the main event on such a epic date that the new opening of new arena is a brand new small hall you know small arena small palace i, sh- I should say that uh, bruiser brody was not in the main event he was not happy right and the tag team ricky choshu and i cannot remember that was, i believe it was yoshiaki yatsu and the, the, the opponent was bruiser brody and killer tim brooks mm. okay so it's a tag team situation <laughs> that was like also very interesting to to see Bruiser Brody not letting Ricky Choshu do his stuff on not one bit, you know. He was much bigger. And, yeah, and then Big Boot, you know, he he gave Big Boot to to Ricky Choshu's face. Match itself was, I believe, Ricky Choshu pinned Killer Brooks with. With with you know your, your clothesline or Ricky Choshu finished Killer Brooks you know with his scorpion. I just like it, the the finish the whole sequence slipping away. I cannot remember, you know. But all I remember was that Bruiser Brody didn't do you know let Ricky Choshu do a thing, and that's how I remember you know how most people remember. And Bruiser Brody made sure that that was the last night he worked all Japan. Then he walked out. Then Inoki against Bruiser Brody program starts in New Japan side. And pretty much with the skeleton, you know, the, the roster, Bruiser Brody in a lot of ways saved New Japan that year. Isn't that interesting? It was a busy yeah, year. It was a wild year. Yeah. Yeah. And then just within 1985, Antonio Inoki and Bruiser Brody had a six single matches, all big, super, you know, arena type matches. Not one clear finish. <laughs> it's so 1985, huh? Sure, yeah. Yeah, because the business happens, and you have you know every time Inoki and Bruiser Brody had a single match, uh, you always have more than ten, fifteen thousand people. You know, big business, right? Mm. And you would think Inoki would beat everybody, but uh, I guess with this single match program against Bruiser Brody, either. Inoki get DQ'd or Bruiser Brody get DQ'd. And one time there was double count out and there was no contest. And you know what I'm saying? Not even the count outside the ring. Not one finish in these six single matches. But they did it. But after Bruiser Brody left, it was the program Stan Hansen against Ricky Choshu in All Japan Ring. Interesting, huh? Mm. Is that where he got the lariat? So when we started using the lariat with Stan Hansen? No, 82. 82 was New oh, 82, Japan. 82, that's right. We talk, okay. 
Yeah, we talked about it because Riki Choshu was basically a mid-card Japanese-sized wrestler who took Western Lariat clothesline from That's Stan right. Hansen, Hansen the most. You know, so just as end of 81, Stan Hansen leaves and joins all Japan, right? So that was just as soon as Stan Hansen left New Japan, it was Ricky Choshu's finish. Ricky Lariat. Ricky Lariat, that's right. Was born. Interesting, huh? Because oh, they take care of people's finish, you know, if it was Western Lariat, you know, left hand, uh, left arm, I should say, uh, clothesline of Stan Hansen, that the Nobody mess with it, mm. you know. Then now that the Stan Hansen left and joined the other side, which is all Japan, that it became Riki Choshu's signature move. Well, they took care of that tradition, and uh, yeah, now it's uh, the superstar Riki Choshu switch side and come to all Japan and his faction and uh, superstar Riki Choshu's close line against American superstar Stan Hansen's Western Lariat. You know, the Lariat against the Lariat. In 86, following year, um, Ricky Choshi beats Stan Hansen to become PWF heavyweight champion. <clears throat> Pacific Wrestling Federation. You know, now the part of the, the Triple Crown. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he, but the, he was criticized a little bit by, you know, like more in fans that uh, there were three single title match, the title, single title championship, right? International heavyweight title, you know, uh, of Jumbo Tsura. UN, United National Heavyweight Title, uh, held by Tenru, Genichiro Tenru. Then in the Pacific Wrestling Federation heavyweight title held by Ricky Choshu. Three single championship, uh, you know, kept kept by three different superstars. Who is the best? And it's like, that's so Giant Baba's, you know, school, you know, Giant Baba booking that uh, giving each of three belts to three different top guys. But that's like ended up, you know, not having a real true top guy. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, when you make a guy in the in the promotion at one top single superstar like Roman Reigns is right now, that you don't give other guys you know belts, you know. And it was almost confusing that uh, they yeah by each having three you know three different singles championship that made made them equal, but uh, equal doesn't work in wrestling, does it? Well, especially around that time, a lot of these guys were hitting their peak points in their careers. There were a lot of big stars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But same year, yes, in 86, uh, Riki Choshu and Yoshiaki Yatsu finally beat Jumbo and Tenru to become international tag team champion. Yeah. He, which he held that tag team title until uh, Riki Choshu left, uh, left all Japan again to rejoined uh, New Japan mm -hmm. in spring of spring, yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is when Masa Saito joined him in New Japan, right? Uh, actually, in 86, uh, until part, in spring of 87, he was in jail mm -hmm. in America, in Wisconsin. When did he end up back with New Japan? 87, 87. Yeah. After spring? Yeah, uh, actually, he looked like part of 
Ricky Chosh's group, right? Right. But yeah. actually, Masa Saito was the only wrestlers, I mean, genuinely freelancer with uh, under no contract. He just came back from AWA. Mm. Mm, that's right. You know, like the dying days of AWA. He got out of jail. He wanted to brush up a little bit in the work dates with all Japan, but he felt like he wanted to come back. And also, that was the year Anthony Inoki started having this Inoki Live at the Osaka Joe Hall, that the Sumo Palace, that the you know celebrating Inoki's 30 years in business type of deal. And Inoki's special opponent was Masa Saito. That year alone, '87. That year alone, including the jungle no people match, Inoki and Masa Saito had four important single matches, all big house. Mm. And also, they needed Masa Saito because technically, Riki Choshu, the Kuniaki Kobayashi, the uh, other, you know, Riki Choshu's group could not legally work New Japan until October of 87. Mm-hmm. They were still doing, uh, you know, like a right outside the guardrail with street clothes and teasing, you know, they could making a run in. And that was as much as they could. If they put on the wrestling gear and get on the ring, you'll be sued. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they did what they could do. And yes, uh, rookie coming, you know, uh, rookie Hiroshi Hase uh, and Masa Saito. They, those two were not under contract. Therefore, they could start working with New Japan right away. Therefore, Masa Saito against Inoki, uh, the main event of like IWGP tournament that year, uh, rookie Hiroshi Hase seconding it, you know, and Ricky Choshu and his guys in street rows sitting right outside the, you know, the, the barricade. Hmm. Interesting picture, huh? Kind of reminds me of the, you know, like an NWO or... Right, very similar, very similar. Yeah, because yeah, uh, it's an interesting storyline, it's an angle, but the, technically you could legally get sued by very smart lawyers, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And usually not much of, you know, wrestling people, but the Channel 4, you know, All Japan Pro Wrestling... Channel Four is very angry that uh, the way Ricky Choshu walked out on on contract. Yeah. How many more years or months were on it? Uh, I think like uh, if they don't terminate the contract, that'll automatically extend or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. It basically Ricky Choshu and his seven other guys walked out on it. Yeah. And expecting that somebody will take care of it. <laughs> Inoki will take care of it, right? Yeah. Uh, so 87, all, some of the group is back with Joshu, but mostly it's it, Joshu is, uh, how was he perceived? Was he was he more of a heel? Still Ishingun, because he will not be part of Inoki and Fujinami establishment, you know. He, you know, his thing, you know, Ricky Choshi always had his guys with him and he always work against the company establishment. He will be challenging Fujinami again, will be challenging Inoki again, right? And uh, yeah, so that was the, the, the this basic image of Ricky Choshi always on his own, you know? And uh, it will be another year or two until Ricky Choshi actually shake hands with Inoki in that ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but the, this 85, 85, 86 uh, two year period was you know pretty important that the uh, you know Ricky Choshu and his guys actually switched side and worked all Japan. So they you know Ricky Choshu and his guys became one of the very few groups that worked both groups under Inoki's you know watch under vision under Giant Baba's you know. Supervision, like a completely different philosophy in pro, you know, the way you run wrestling company, you know, wrestling business or wrestling shows or, or the the dressing room itself. Yeah, yeah. No one was. was uh, no one had that experience at the time. It was very unique at the time, right? To them, yeah. Yeah, probably the only person who worked both sides was Uman, uh, like I said, Umanosuke Ueda and probably Hiro Matsuda. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, but they are special, you know. Umanosuke Ueda and Hiro Matsuda were considered 
Japanese wrestler, but they lived in America, you know? So it was a little bit different. And uh, yeah, not everybody came back, you know? The Yoshiaki Yatsu uh, choose to stay with Old Japan and became, you know, under contract Old Japan wrestler. Uh, Yoshiaki Yatsu, that the Killer Khan didn't come back. Uh, Isamu Teranishi didn't come back, e- Haruka Eigen, Shinichi Nakano, uh, quite a few stayed. But then Ruki, who started, you know, started with All Japan, I'm talking about Kensuke Sasaki, was rookie then. But he, yeah, came back to New Japan. Not that came coming back, but the, he debuted with, with All Japan, and he was Japan pro wrestling wrestler. He joined New Japan with this this version of Ruki Choshu. Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase. They, those two are rookie then. Yeah, interesting, huh? Sasaki would become kind of like the protege. Yeah, much, much bigger star than people thought. Yeah. And he would kind of dress like Choshu, had the same hair. Same stump. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And not tall, but real stocky, you know, like a. Like a More like you know. Kenta Kobashi's build. Yeah, and then you, he, the way he lift weights every day and uh, the way he practice and work out eight hours a day every day. And yeah, because he was really, really dedicated. And, uh, you know, more like, see, he, he had a little bit of complex too because his rookie mate was a former Olympian, you know, that uh, golden rookie Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke in college graduate and also taught in high school uh, for one year and, and Kensuke Saki joined Ricky Choshu's group right out of high school. He was in judo but never national level. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, what he needed to do was just work very hard to get what he wants. You know? Yeah. He was always kind of circling around the Three Musketeers. Yeah, because they that they designed that the, the Three Musketeer Muto Hashimoto Chono were like they were designed to be the top guys, huh? Hmm. You know, and then and uh, Kensuke himself, of course, you know, they knew he was gonna get there, but uh, yeah, took him a little longer. Yes, yeah. Um. 87, 88, Choshu's back in New Japan, but this was also when Inoki was kind of wrapping up his... Slowing down. Yeah. And also the rise of Big Van Vader era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, that uh, people talk about this, you know, Sumo Palace riot, December of 1987. You know, that was the night Big Van Vader debuted and beat Inoki in just two minutes or something. Oh, yeah. Actually, the lineup, they... Uh, announced previously was final meeting of Inoki against Riki Choshu, right? Hmm. And they were going to switch that to Riki Choshu, and I mean uh, Inoki against Big Van Vader. And people booed that thing, you know, that the beat Takeshi, you know, and the, that the TPG Takeshi Pro Wrestling Gundan, uh, the taking over New Japan and TBSI, you know, this big angle that the, they came up with. That was the time that the, the old Japan was switching that the world pro wrestling to give up Made Matenai, that the, the variety portion of pro wrestling program that people hated so much. And uh, they did this uh, pirate, which people hated so much. You know, they run in and, uh, you know, destroy the match and, and run off, right? You know, if you remember that Billy Gasper, the, you know, that the parts unknown pirate from some Caribbean or something that the people didn't buy. And uh, that the, this pirate guy destroyed Inoki against Masa Saito match too. And uh, Big Van Vader was part of this, you know, that the new package deal that uh, they were going to create Monster, which they did. But uh, this December 87 version of Big Van Vader wasn't quite ready to, you know, st- you know to be on that, you know, on that spot. But uh the booking is a booking, you know, this debuting Big Van Vader beat Inoki was this avalanche power slam in two minutes. But uh, people are not happy, so they had to have Inoki against Riki Choshu too in the same night. 
Inoki ended up working twice. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's like uh, chaos, don't you think? It it scared. It was so bad. It scared Kitano away from pro wrestling forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. Because pe- wrestling fans are crazy. <laughs> but that, that yeah, but was the, that was uh, yeah. unique, though. That was uh, if anybody's seen. Yeah, it, but I think the, what was bad about world, this, but... you know, Kita- Takeshi Kitano thing? He left the building without watching a match. Oh, so it was just his reaction to how the people yeah wrestling reacted. world, you know, because yeah. he felt that he was used, you know. But the day had. Ricky Choshu Inoki single match that night, right? You know, like a couple minutes, a couple matches before Inoki Big Van Vader match. But what they gave people was six minute DQ match. Oh, that got people mad even more, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, like Japanese wrestling fan will boo the match, not because you, you hate the heels, but they, they boo you when they don't like what they're watching. How's that? They they think it's bullshit. They think it's yeah yeah. But the, that's how you know messed up or that the, the things were out of control that night or that period. You know that the, it was obvious that the Inoki was not in his prime anymore. But the, you have to keep in, in Anthony Inoki, the producer, the director, the owner of the company, the top guy. That the, you feed everybody, right? Mm. But uh, they you know had to start dealing with the reality that that night Inoki choose to do the complete job you know you gonna start this big van vader guy i'll show you how to do the job right that uh, Inoki so creative that they took this rather green leon white then got himself beat in two minutes the monster the monster was born that night right mm. Then 88 January tour on Big Van Vader was on every single tour, like working full time. Then about a, about working about a year, he became like the biggest, you know, the the best big big man worker of the era and of, of the era, I think. But uh, yeah, 88 pretty much was the last year Inoki worked full time. In 89, he ran for public office and won the election and became parliament yeah so he didn't have to retire but uh, he actually won uh, won the election national election and got about little less than one you know one million but uh like nine hundred ninety thousand vote and then he actually yeah was elected into uh upper house parliament big deal right Hmm. But uh, that was 1989, the beginning of 1989. The, the, the election was summer, but uh, he withdrew from wrestling schedule as of like a, uh, January, February of 89. That's when Inoki gave the booker job, the booker position, the exclusive, I mean, the, the executive producer, they call it, but the Kantoku. basic, yeah, uh, to Riki Choshu. You would think, you would think, Inoki would give that position to Fujinami, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, here, yeah, that that was the hierarchy, right? Instead, Inoki chose Riki Choshu over Fujinami, apparently, because he was jock and the locker room leader, and he was, I think Fujinami was a more artist and athlete, and on his own, that he is not, the right person to run the entire locker room was 45 guys. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Ricky Choshu was, I mean, whereas Ricky Choshu was the type of the guy who lived in the fraternity house, you know? He's animal uh, house. I think he probably got a little more respect backstage just because of. Or he, he can yell at guys and make, make them, you know, keep their mouth shut. Like you said, he's you said he was a scary dude. Just yeah, in general. Yeah, but just the energy he, he just walk around. He's not gonna hit you or yell at you or anything. But the the aura or the air that he generates that uh, you don't want to bother this scary guy. You know, the, the big jock. You know, and uh, he, the, I'm sure that was new to him that he never ran, but running. Dressing room is one thing, but giving finish, this is wrestling, right? Yeah. 
I mean, he was coming from the complete, like you said last week, he wasn't coming from a, a pro wrestling fan background. He, he didn't care for it. He, he's from the, the sports side. Yeah, but the, he, yeah, but the, he became professional wrestler. For, sure. I mean, I, I mean, uh, 1989 version of Ricky Choshu already had 17 year experience in professional wrestling, seen it all, done it all though, you know? And, uh, and the summer of 1989, he came up with, with the, the, that later on became G1 Climax. But uh, the, he ran three consecutive nights at at the Korakuen Hall. You know, was was never done then. You know, that the three nights, three consecutive nights at Korakuen Hall. But now they do. You know, that the, today's New Japan run two or three consecutive like days. Four sometimes. Sometimes. But uh, 1989, like running three nights, uh, consecutive nights at Korakuen. So you gotta, you know, gotta be doing something very special, you know, for people to come back three consecutive nights, right? Mm. But they did, he did that. Then that, uh, 1980, that became seven consecutive nights at the Korakuen. That was also Ricky Choshu's idea. Seven consecutive nights at the Korakuen, though. You got to do something special, right? But uh, that was 1990. Then that became three consecutive nights at Sumo Palace, very in a, in the first inaugural G1 climax 1989-91. Then that became tradition. Every summer G1 climax. Uh, the, his booking philosophy is pretty, you know, simple. Like very athletic. No, not much storyline or betrayings or somebody backstabbing somebody. Or he had none of that. It was more about wrestling competition mm. and clean finish. Remember, like, uh, start having all the clean finishes in New Japan around 1990? Yeah, it's funny because he had so many matches in his career where there were no clean finish. <laughs> there was nothing. Because the finish was given by someone else right. then. Yeah, but he, he did uh, champion the sport, a uh, uh, realistic type of uh, approach, but also, um, like you said, he was kind of setting the calendar, too, for the company which it was, I don't think it was as involved as it became in, in the 90s when they were running Korokuen three, seven nights in a row. Yeah, 89, 90. Mm. Then that became G1 Climax in 19, summer of 1991. Mm. And also, we need to point this out that at that point, Riki Choshu was the only you know Amer uh, Japanese single wrestler who beat Inoki one, two, three in the middle of the ring for like a, three times. Fujinami mm -hmm. ne never beat Inoki, uh, you know, in single match situ situation. So people took Ricky Choshu was the guy who took over the company, mm -hmm. really. Because mm -hmm. you have to do that in the ring. This is wrestling, you know, work and everything, but, but the, the, the winning and losing has to mean something, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to, though. I still believe that today, that the winning and losing, or putting somebody over or doing jobs, this is different, you know, term different word for it but uh, the result of the match should matter don't you think of course uh, everything should have uh, consequences if you're going to be watching it every week or the meaning of it yeah, yeah. and 1991 inaugural the very first g1 climax that that the uh, riki choshu then i mean very creative booker right he lost every single tournament match that year interesting huh uh it's a very different style Se than yeah and then not selfish and also he showed that to the audience showed that to the locker room this is how you do it that he that the the match was interesting between like a single match you know between ricky choshu and bam bam bigelow Hmm. Bam Bam Bigelow was so happy <laughs> that night to do this, did the, the diving headbutt off the top rope and the, the splash to a cartwheel to the whole nine yard and beat Ricky Choshu in the middle of the ring, one, two, three. And then he really showed the whole locker room, this is how it was going to be done from that point on. You know what? Therefore, yeah? It's, I'm... I'm coming, it's out of nowhere, but I just realized something. We skipped over a, a very important part of Choji's career in 87 with Maeda. Ah, 
Oh, we, right. I think we that should re- like very, before we move very, on to the nineties. Oh, yeah, yes, right, right. We should rewind to eighty-seven. <laughs> because forgot about when that. When we talk about Akira Maeda and his, you know, decorated career, yes, we always have to talk about it because it led to the, the the reopening of second version of UWF, the November of nineteen eighty-seven at the Korakuen Hall. Yes, six-man tag team situation. Uh, Masasai, uh, Riki Choshu, Masa Saito, and Hiro Saito, okay? Uh, one team. And the other team was Akira Maeda, uh, Nobuhiko Takada, and Osamu Kido. Six-man tag situation. Uh, Riki Choshu putting Scorpion Deathlock on Kido, I believe. That uh, out of nowhere, Akira Maeda walks into the ring and kicked Riki Choshu's face from behind. Boom. And it made funny sound. I was there like like 20 years, you know, 20 years away. And uh, yeah, that was interesting. Not interesting, but like uh, people thought it was angle. It wasn't, you know? And uh, my then president Seiji Sakaguchi suspended uh, Maeda right away. Then a month later, he got really, actually got fired from New Japan. But Riki Choshu was the one telling that, no, no, don't let him go. I don't, only those two know what really happened that night. Mm. Interestingly enough, you know, later on, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall was watching that moment from the, the ramp too. Wow. Yeah, and then also that same year, 87, that the spring of 87, we rewind it, okay? <laughs> uh, IWGP was not a title yet, that after this uh, tournament final, final was between Inoki and Masa Saito, okay? And Inoki naturally beats uh, Masa Saito. And they, they introduced new finish too. You know, you know Saito suplex, right? That the mm-hmm. big suplex backdrop that he, Inoki turns his body and avalanche him. People do that now a lot, but uh, that was the first night they introduced the finish. Masa Saito was going to give perfect uh, Saito suplex. In midair, Inoki turns his body and avalanched both take both wrestlers take big bump and covers one two three wow that was very fresh finish that uh, now they do that a lot but uh, uh, that was very interesting finish that Inoki beats uh, Masa Saito for the tournament final and that night IWGP becomes the championship belt becomes the title that to be defended you know, then you think that was the finale that, uh, you know, the final moment of the night. No, Ricky Choshu walks in, you know, with microphone and say, challenging the establishment that the big, huge angle of new leader and now leader, those, the, all the fa- existing faction w- w- gotten broken up. It's, at the time, there was like a Ford dressing room, Inoki and the company New Japan dressing room, right? And there was a Riki Choshu, Riki, the Choshu Gundan dressing room, then UWF dressing room, then American dressing room. Ford dressing there was. But uh, just by doing one big angle that night, the, all the faction got destroyed, you know, that the new leader, the Riki Choshu, that the Fujinami joins, and Maeda joins, all the young wrestler joins, and, and challenge the establishment. Now leader, that uh, Inoki and Sakaguchi, and Masa Saito joins that part too. And uh, that was a big, huge angle, like that the, all the existing faction and group no, long, no longer, and uh, now it's the younger guys, against older guys, you know, there was a very exciting, you know, angle that night. And again, young Scott Hall watched the whole thing and turned that into NWO a decade later. That's very interesting. Isn't it though? Mm. Oh, cause the Scott Hall was you know, not, we're not talking about Scott Hall that much today, but the Scott Hall was a serious student of professional wrestling all the way. And he witnessed that new leader, now leader angle. He witnessed that the shoot kick done by Akira Maeda on, 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 on Riki Choshu's face that night. Scott Hall witnessed the whole thing and thought it was big angle. It wasn't. And uh, yeah, he was there like uh, Forrest Gump. That's what I'm talking about. Like uh, being there with Peter Sellers. 
Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. The people thought it was like uh, when we talk about it. You know, people just go just like uh, just like uh, Tom Hanks. You know, Forrest Gump in, mm-hmm. in uh, interesting moments of history. You know, but that's let's talk about that sometimes. You know, again. But uh, right, we could not skip this 1987 uh, spring uh, that uh, big angle right after the finale of IWGP tournament that the IWGP becomes the the, the heavyweight world championship that to be defended then that shoot kick thing happened and Maida gets fired from the company and following spring that the UWF starts again then that's another subject for another day because you some of these serious UWF follower and fans believe that, that they were going to change professional wrestling into legitimate contest the professional sport you know that that later on ended up becoming what you call what we call MMA today, you know, but another portion of history. But the Ricky Choshu stayed with his company and became Saul Booker after Inoki left, and it was completely Ricky Choshu era. Well, what's interesting is though he still kept this rebel image of it, but actually he was a guy who was running the dressing room. Isn't that interesting? I'm. I don't know if it played into how people perceived Choshu after it happened, but uh, listeners out there should need to realize that this kick wasn't just a, a you know, freely kick. It it broke his orbital bone. It broke his right, face. Right, and his oh, and Ricky Choshu's face for it next sw- two months it was swollen. swollen up. Oh, it looked and, horrible. Uh, he. Uh, but the Ricky Choshu only two weeks, three weeks later, told people to not let Maeda go. Mm. You know, yeah. It's interesting too because uh, when we bring up Maeda and Choshu, they were both very popular at the time, but they really were on different paths. They were like on the opposite sides of the road when it came oh, to yeah. pro oh, wrestling. Yeah. And uh, Choshu is the uh, polar opposite to what Maeda was doing. Choshu was doing. He was wrestling. Traditional, traditional, traditional pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. He, he, but he revolutionized a lot though within the wrestling frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Maeda was the one who was going to outside of pro wrestling because you had to to make professional wrestling a legitimate sport. You know what I'm saying? Or being MMA, you know, they don't. They were uh, different approaches to being realistic or or legitimate. Yeah, but decades back, both were in New Japan Dojo. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah, Maeda, Riki Choshu, Fujiwara, uh, or uh, Hamaguchi Yatsu, all these people for that matter. Those, every single one of them worked out at Nogue's New Japan Dojo one time or another. Mm. All the way to today's... Uh, Okada Naito, Tanahashi era, they were all there, you know, but uh, yeah, so uh, I I think Akira Maeda and Riki Choshu were kind of close, uh, they were friends, uh, but uh, they were thinking about two different things, and they, mm. two, they had two different plans, they had to go separate way, huh? Two different, like, uh, visions, you could say. Yeah, yeah, but that's as realistic as you can get in, you know, in wrestling. You know, because, yeah, we talk about work and finish of pro, pro wrestling, but what they do and how they want to, you know, to move forward as a professional, that's pretty real. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reflected the, the everyday life more, too, than as opposed to maybe 10 years before that when it was kind of like watching an action hero versus a monster. Now, today's... 2022 wrestling is more of a Game Boy to me. <laughs> you know? I, it, it, definitely at times. I mean, it depends on where you are and, and what it is you're watching, but um, a lot of it, yeah. It's just a different rhythm. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about things that are from 30 years ago now. That's right. Yeah. 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 And uh, this 1989 version of, you know, Booker or Kantoku Riki Choshu, more of an establishment, but he was veteran. Then you have three musketeer there already becoming main event. 
G1 Climax as a tool, you know, like a vehicle that Muto, Hashimoto, Chono, or probably Hase and Kensuke Sasaki for that matter, they were becoming superstar on their own. And Ricky Choshu was there to defend the company. I mean, yeah. So it's like the whole circle, you know, of it. Mm. Very interesting. So early, so we can fast forward back to the early 90s now. Because yeah. uh, G1 so, Climax. G1 yeah. Climax. And you talked about yeah, Choshu working. Choshu working with guys like Chono and, and uh, Hashimoto, who... When I think oh, Hashimoto of Hashimoto and Choshu match, oh. I, th- I think those. I mean, maybe they weren't big parts of Choshu's career, but they were huge parts of Hashimoto's career and Chono's career. Of course, career. so because as much as you know, yeah, it was just like uh, Choshu wanting to beat Inoki, you know, back in eighties. But it was Hash- now it's Hashimoto and Muto and Chono who had to beat Riki Choshu and Fujinami. To get there, yeah. Completely new new generation of it, yes. It was very, very interesting, yeah. So this, because there's no Inoki there, and Fujinami took, you know, a few years off with bad back. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the whole landscape within New Japan changed, yeah. So, of course, Choshu, you know, hit 40s, you know, and uh, yeah, but it was also Tokyo Dome era that uh, in Inoki's days, running 10 Sumo Palace shows was a real big deal, right? And you know, that the Choshu's era, you'll be running two Tokyo Dome, Fukuoka Dome, Nagoya Dome, that uh, Osaka Dome is like a dome sized building with you gotta pack 50, 60,000 people, you know, and it will be doing a different thing. And Masa Saito came back to Japan to live a full time and they signed a deal with WCW to be partnership and now all kinds you know WCW people including people like Rick Flair start appearing in New Japan ring big production it's 90s I never th- I don't think I ever saw Choshu show up for WCW during that time he he traveled yeah but he never worked the show mm-hmm. yeah Right. Masa didn't work the show either. It was time for Liger, the Otani, the, you know, Tenzan, you know, Tenzan Nakanishi. Yeah, they, they wanted to have these guys have experience in, in, in uh, American soil and a bigger, you know, bigger production because WCW was like the major league of professional wrestling. I mean, not as popular as, I mean, I'm, WWF until NWO and Monday Night War era, but uh, still considered very big league, right? Mm. Around that time period, you can find that footage. Inoki worked last American match in WCW Clash of Champions, if you remember. A Regal? Yeah. yeah. Antonio Inoki against William, William Regal. Stephen Regal. Stephen Regal. Lord Stephen yeah. Regal. Yes. Yeah, then Inoki wanted to have him as an opponent to have his kind of match. Wow, that's a that says that says a lot. About Rigo? Yeah. I mean what kind respect. of opponent would be the perfect opponent for aged Antonio Inoki to yeah. shine? I think yeah. It's a, it's and a great the point. stage like Clash of Champions. You could do a little mini version of the Billy Robinson match. Yeah, yeah, right. And wrestling match, which is he also had to showcase something completely different from what WCW TV will provide you every week. I mean, different kinds of wrestling. It had to be. Mm. Inoki was, you know, playing black t- in trunks and black, t- you know, wrestling boots, kimono jacket, and he's like a politician from Japan, and he's a bigger than life superstar, having very special match, clash of champions. That uh, he, yeah, he wanted to have. Lord Steven Regal for, for his opponent to have his kind of match. That was interesting. But that, that that was another subject for another day. And Ricky Choshu had traveled to America, uh, but he never really worked. Uh, another footage from way back, like a 79, there's a Sakaguchi and Ricky Choshu working WWE Madison Square Garden ring against oh, yeah. Jojo and Jojo Andrews and Bad News Allen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, That's uh, on the WWE Network. 
That's network, right. yeah, and then then play by play announcer Vince McMahon, younger Vince McMahon, kept calling him Koshu, Koshu, Koshu. That's uh, a <laughs> that's what um, a fun fact for Shingo Takagi fans out there. That's wasn't that what uh, his right, right? He name wanted to was? be a Ricky Koshu, yeah, right, because uh, it's Koshu. a name for Yamanashi Shizuoka area, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, right, right. Wordplay. Shingo Takagi wanted to name himself Ricky Koshu, right. I, you well, know, he, I guess he's very he's much a, a like a next incarnation in a lot of ways of of Toshu. Pretty much, you see a like lot. A, I see yeah, a lot close of line, close line guy, huh? Mm-hmm. Intense, yeah, yeah. jock, mm-hmm. loves to yeah, train, much. Mm-hmm. and longer hair in the back, mm-hmm. kind of a mullet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he still has mullet to this day. Yeah, wrestling hairdo now. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. But um, oh, it, it, but uh, early '90s, after aside from the G1, he was also still headlining uh, with New Japan. Yeah, but didn't make him so top wrestler. Mm-hmm. He wanted to. Yeah, he, his plan initially was five Top Gun, was like a three Musketeer, Muto, Chono, Hashimoto, and Hase and Kensuke. So it's a five Top Gun, mm-hmm. and Fujinami and Ricky Choshu will remain as more of a senior senior main event guy not necessary you know coming at the end of the night but uh still very special like rick flair of 90s sure yeah kind of like a special attraction yeah so pretty much because it's the uh, same ricky choshu's rick flair same generation right almost yeah, yeah it really hit me because ricky choshu right now today you know 2022 he's 70 years old Huh. Ricky Choshu being 70, you know? It's a weird thought. He was, I mean, he, the image of him is still running around and doing the clothesline with long hair, right? Mm. But well, the guy's 70. The spirit is the same. And when, whenever he, he comes out onto you know television or makes... Oh, he, he is Ric Flair, yes. I mean, I mean yeah, Ricky Choshu all the way, yeah. Mm. And un, unintentionally funny mm. <laughs> on television, yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, 96 was a special year, because that's the year that he won the G1. Yeah, and the last time, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, we can wrap this up, you know, wrap this episode up, because he retires in January 4th, Tokyo Dome, 1998. Actually, three months before Inoki's retirement, he he. Did- decided to you know put this wrestling boots you know once you know he returns 2000 uh, uh, year 2000 so he was he retired really uh, well, i'm sure he meant it you know at the time you know he was going to retire in 1998 but uh, yes he did come back in year 2000 and had 19 more years the actual real retirement was 19 i mean uh, 2019 so he worked another 19 years, but uh, wasn't with New Japan. It's like that uh, wrestling's dark age hits, and he quits New Japan 2003. And there was ill-fated, you know, short-lived Double J World Japan Pro Wrestling, and he came back to New Japan a little bit. But he worked places like Hustle, and he had, you know, uh, he worked Tradition Date, and a smaller company like a Real Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, yeah, and then, and then uh, pretty much started working different companies. And uh, yeah, because it was New Japan was sold uh, to, you know, Ukes and later on Bushiroad. And uh, he wasn't part of New Japan anymore, but the Riki Choshu was Riki Choshu. And he had like a third career, right? And he's still, uh, still kind of living it right now. He's in the middle of it, this third career post Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 1998 on, we'll, we'll talk about that the third uh, portion of uh, Ricky Choshu's legacy hmm. uh, next time. Yeah. And we should talk about the 96 uh, uh, G1. A little. We'll start there, 96, right when he... Okay, 96 to 2019 or to this day? To this day, I guess, because uh, <laughs> yeah. every, every yeah, other day. Yeah, because I said... Was like he was most influential professional wrestling figure of the last thirty years. No, last forty years. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. And we got to talk about you know there is that connection from him to Sasaki to 
stars from today, like uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima. Um, oh yeah, there's right. that connection. So uh, he still has a uh, he's still a, a a relevant figure in Japanese pro wrestling. He just showed up at a, a Tokyo Dome this year for New Japan. Yeah, as a guest. yeah, and also he um uh, when he became New Japan Booker for the for the second time, that's when people like Shinsuke Nakamura and Tan- Hiroshi Tanahashi was rookie young lion. So that connection is there too. Wow, he had a hands on all the different generation then. And we, we can't forget to mention around this time, next week we'll talk about it, but the Onita match. The, um, oh, yeah. He, yeah. You know, he even or did a second match. incarnation of Riki Choshu Tenru program. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. they did that. Yeah, they did that. Yeah. And 30, 30 40 year program of Fujinami against Choshu. All the way, all the way till like 2019. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they were always, they never. They're kind of like a yeah. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes single match, or mm. Rick, yeah, Steamboat or something like, that. yeah, or the Sheik against Bobo Brazil. See, when I was a kid, I did not understand how could Sheik against Bobo Brazil in Detroit could last 30 years. Now I understand. Mm. Yeah. Rivals, rivals are important. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. When yeah, uh, rivals are important, and I believe they are good friends because they respect each other hmm. so much. Yeah. Okay, so where can listeners find you <laughs> online? Um, on Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or find me Fumisaito on Facebook. Message me first. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Uh, next week, we'll do part three. We'll wrap up the third tier of uh, Choshu's career. So until next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.